Let's pray, and then you can be seated, because I'm going to summarize a lot before we get into tonight's passages. I want to kind of bring us up to speed so that we can get a sense of equilibrium, because this is a long book. But you know what? It's pure prophecy about the last days. And so let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the word tonight. And we pray that, Lord, you will bless this word and open our eyes. We know, Lord, we are living in perilous times and prophetic times and the end of times. And we pray that tonight you will open our understanding. And, Lord, help us to be a prepared people. And everyone listening by radio and everyone watching these DVDs, Lord, speak to them minister to them, and we thank you, Lord God, for a church without spot or wrinkle when Jesus comes again. Now, will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to me tonight. I receive your word. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Now, let's recap a little bit before I get into this tonight. We've seen so far that chapters 1 through 3 in Revelations open up with the glorified Messiah, He is glorified, hair like wool, eyes like fire, feet like brass. He is glorified. He's not the carpenter walking around on earth healing people, the humble man, the lamb, but he's the glorified Messiah. And he is appearing to John with a message, first of all, to seven different churches. That's chapters 1 through 3. Then chapter 4, John is transported into heaven. And he is told that he is about to be shown things that will soon take place. And that's the key phrase in chapter 4. You're about to see things that will soon take place. So in other words, John, you're receiving prophecy. All right. Then in chapter 5, an incredible drama unfolds. A scroll with seven seals appears. It's sealed with seven different seals. But nobody in heaven or earth or under the earth is found worthy to open it until the Lamb of God steps forward. And when He steps forward, He alone is worthy and He is the one that opens the seals. So ladies and gentlemen, let's keep in mind that when He opens up these seals, it is the Lord Jesus who we just worshipped who is ushering forth these judgments that are coming upon the earth. Always remember, God's a God of love, but God's a God of holiness. God must judge sin. Now, He judged your sin and my sin. If you're saved, He judged it on the cross. And that's why you better go to the cross. You've got to have the cross. Because when you turn to Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross, then your sin is washed away because your sin was judged on the cross. But there is a world that rejects Christ, hates Christ, wants nothing to do with Christ. And God must judge their sin. So on earth, he's the Lamb of God. But in judgment, he's the Lion of Judah. In chapter 6, six of those seven seals are opened. The first four are the dreaded horsemen of the apocalypse that release four things. The first four judgments that gallop out of heaven, these horsemen are first the Antichrist on the white horse, war, famine, and plague. That's just the beginning. Those are the first four seals. Then the opening of the fifth seal reveals the souls of those who have been martyred. And this theme, you will see it throughout the book, how seriously God takes it. 
when his children are persecuted and even martyred. I read today seven Christians in another country were beheaded for their faith in Christ. Can I tell you, they are going to be among these who are under the altar saying, when will you avenge our death? So there they are. When he opens the fifth seal, John sees the souls of those who have been martyred, asking God, how long before you take action against those who did this to us? They know that God's a God of justice. Now the opening of the sixth seal releases cosmic catastrophes. With the moon turning red as blood, the sun is obscured, and meteorite showers pummel the earth. Normally meteorites evaporate before they strike earth but this will be a massive shower of meteorites that strike the earth and are not dissolved before they hit john records in revelation 6 verses 15 to 17 the kings of the earth the princes the generals the rich the mighty and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains and they called to the mountains and to the rocks because they don't know god So they're calling to the rocks. And what do they say? Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Notice, here's meteorite showers pummeling the earth, but their greatest fear is the face of the one sitting on the throne. Tell you what, you don't want to meet Jesus in judgment. You want to meet him and hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Nobody will stand when Jesus Christ comes to judge the earth. In chapter 7, we saw 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, sealed by God to be witnesses for Jesus during the Great Tribulation. There's 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams traveling the globe. God doesn't even leave the tribulation period without a witness. We also saw a vast multitude, no man could number, of the redeemed. And it's clearly the church in heaven, you, worshiping God in heaven. Let me tell you, heaven is one worship session after another. You better get used to it. Amen? Because that's what it is. It's one worship session after another. say, well, I don't much care for it. Oh, you're going to love it in heaven. You don't care for it because you've got too much flesh. Did I say that here tonight? All right. Chapter 8 shows the seventh seal opened by the Lamb. And a great silence falls upon the inhabitants of heaven, for the seventh seal portends the next series of judgments known as the seven trumpets. So you've got the seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls or vials. Twenty-one judgments in all before the whole thing is wrapped up. Now the first four trumpets are blown in chapter 8. And with these fearsome trumpets, a third of earth's ecology is burned up. You can read about it, chapter 8. A third of marine life is destroyed. That breaks my heart. I hate that because I love what God has created. But this is judgment. It happened in Noah's day. Everything was wiped out, but two of each kind. Here you've got the creation feeling the effects of judgment. 
A third of earth's clean water is turned bitter, and a third of the heavens is turned dark. A third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars. There is a blanking out of the heavens. Chapter 9 sees the fifth trumpet blown, releasing demonic, locust-like creatures that torment mankind for five months. They torment them, but they can't kill them. So they're tormented. The Bible says they want to die and can't die. Judgment. Can I tell you something, church? You don't fool with God. I'm telling you, when God gives you a chance to get right with Him, you better get right. The sixth trumpet then blows, and four angels stationed at the Euphrates River, and they're there right now, are released to dry it up to make way for a massive 200 million man army to take part in the great, horrible Battle of Armageddon. Now in chapter 10, we found a mighty angel who is clearly the Lord Jesus himself, stands with one foot in the sea and another on the land, and he declares what only God can declare. Time is no longer. We are one breath away from the end of history as we have known it. And only Jesus The Lord God can say, time is no longer. Then when you go into chapter 11, you see two witnesses, we talked about them last time, that prophesy in the streets of Jerusalem for the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. They remind one of Elijah and Moses, and they might be. Midway through the tribulation, they are killed but raised from the dead after three and a half days by God while the whole world watches on satellite television. Because that's the only way. And again, I point out to you one of the proofs, not that I need one, but that John was moved on by the Spirit of God because John, in the first century, sitting on a lonely, desolated island called Patmos, before there was any technology, any television, any radio, any media, said, I saw every human being on earth looking at their dead bodies. And when they rose from the dead, every human on earth saw it. CNN, ABC, CBS, I'd give anything if I could be there to watch their face. Because that's who it'll be. It'll be mass media. Now, we also saw in chapter 11 that the temple will be rebuilt on its ancient site, though now the Dome of the Rock occupies that spot. You say, then how is the temple going to be built there? Something will happen. There will be an earthquake. There will be a war. There will be a skirmish. Something will happen. But that temple is going to be rebuilt right where Solomon built it first where Abraham lifted up the knife to bring down on Isaac and God stopped him, Mount Moriah. That's where the temple is going to be rebuilt again. Let God be true and every man a liar. It'll happen. Finally, in chapter 11, the seventh trumpet sounds. This last trumpet releases a great worship session in heaven and flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm are released upon planet earth. This shows again that what happens in the spiritual world is often reflected in the physical world. Not always, but often. 
you see John gives us both viewpoints, what's going on in heaven and then the consequence on earth. Now, tonight we're going to talk about a woman and a dragon and the Antichrist. As chapter 12 opens, John has a flashback. Everybody say flashback. Now, what I mean by that is God takes him back. Remember I told you at the beginning of this series, most of Revelations is chronological, but from time to time, the chronology will be interrupted. And John will be taken forward into a future event and then brought back, or he'll be taken back to the past for some reason. Now, in chapter 12, he's taken back to the past, a past that he is very familiar with because it has to do with his Savior, the lover of his soul, Jesus Christ, being born. He is taken back for the purpose of identifying and explaining the first of seven characters introduced in the end times that we meet in chapters 12 and 13. So it's necessary for us to see this tonight, what he's taken back to look at. Revelations 12, 1, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven. Here's John. Wow, there's a wonder. I see it. What did he see? A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. The woman John saw is Israel. Now let's just look at it again as I want you to follow this. He sees a wonder in heaven. He says, there's a wonder. How do you know? You talk about signs and wonders. How do you know something is a wonder? It makes you wonder. And he sees a wonder here. And it's making him wonder. He says, I'm seeing a woman. And the woman is clothed with the sun. And the moon is under her feet. And there's a crown of how many stars on her head? Twelve. All right. Keep that in mind. Who's the woman? The woman John saw is Israel. Both history and as represented in Bible prophecy. It is Israel in history and represented in Bible prophecy. Now, it's easy to understand this when you look at Genesis 37 and the dream that Joseph had. Remember Joseph's dreams? Got him in so much trouble. His brothers got jealous of him and sold him down the river for his dreams. Well, when you look at Joseph's dreams, the symbology of the sun, moon, and 12 stars is very clear. Let's look at Joseph's dream. Genesis 37, verse 9. Soon, Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Big mistake. He said, listen, I have had another dream. He said, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. You see the same things? The sun, the moon, and 11 stars. Now, how did Jacob, his daddy, interpret this dream? He said, what kind of dream is that? Will your mother and I and your brothers. Now, that gives it all away right there. Who's the sun, the moon, and the stars? Me, Jacob, your mother, and your brothers. Will we actually come and bow to the ground before you? So Jacob, when he heard the dream, he knew exactly what it was. You're talking about me, the wife, and the 12 tribes of Israel. You're talking about the family. That's the sun, the moon, and the stars. And that's what John's talking about in Revelation. If you get it, say, I get it. 
The great wonder John saw was the pregnancy of Israel. Now watch this. Revelations 12, verse 2. She, Israel, was pregnant. Let me tell you something right now, church. Do you want to know why the Jewish people are so attacked, so hated, so maligned, under threat day and night? It never ends, never stops, and it's always been that way. Do you know why? Because Israel brought forth Messiah. So in Revelations 12, 2, John says, I saw the woman and she was pregnant. And she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. This is Israel. This is why God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 1, Out of you all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. In Genesis 12, 1, God birthed the Jewish race, the Semite race, in order to bring forth Messiah. And here John sees Israel pregnant and she's in pain and in the agony of giving birth. And of course we know what birth it was. A wonder child was born from this birth. Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, our Redeemer, the lover of our soul, the bread of life, the light of the world. That's who Israel was pregnant with. And now look what happened next. Revelations 12, 3. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. Keep that in your noggin. Because seven heads and ten horns are coming out big time in the next few weeks. Because this is talking about also Antichrist's future empire. But now, everybody say with me, large red dragon. And he is seen with seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns on his heads, which is always a symbol of rulership, kingship. And the dragon is clearly the devil. Thirteen times in Revelation he's called a dragon. His seven heads depict the evil perfection of his influence on civilization's progress. And the ten horns are a prediction of the final form of Gentile world power. And when I get into this in the next couple of weeks, it's going to blow your mind. Because those ten horns, those ten heads are already now here. It's already here. It's already come to pass. And I'm not going to tell you what that means. You're going to have to be here. But the ten horns are here. Now watch this. We will also see that this seven-headed ten-horned beast in later chapters depicts Antichrist's evil political system. And we're going to see later that Satan works through ten nations to enthrone his Antichrist as the world ruler. Now next, John is given a review of Satan's rebellion and fall. So here you've got Israel, the woman, pregnant, gives birth to Messiah, and then you've got the red dragon. The red dragon comes on the scene. He's given a review now of Satan's rebellion and fall prior to the Garden of Eden. Because when we meet Satan in the Garden of Eden, he's already a fallen creature, already judged, already disembodied. Revelations 12.4 says, about who? The red dragon. His tail swept away 
one-third of the stars, angels, that's stars, angels in the sky. And he threw them to the earth. What John is seeing is what we're told in other parts of the Bible. One-third of the angels of God rebelled with Lucifer against God. These fallen angels are the principalities and powers against which we wrestle in spiritual warfare. I am unceasingly amazed at how the church is backsliding away from scriptural truth. The devil's not a symbol. He's not some mythological creature. He's not out of Brothers Grimm. He's not a fable. John is saying, I saw the red dragon's tail sweep and he carried a third of the angels with him in a rebellion against God. This record of the fall of Satan is found in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, and Ezekiel 28, 12 through 17. A third of the angels rebelled with Satan against God. Satan was judged and cast down as the devil, and the angels, those that used to be angels, the third of them that rebelled, are now demon spirits. It is those demon spirits Jesus cast out. It is those demon spirits that said to Jesus, we know who you are, son of the most high God. Don't cast us into the abyss. It's fallen angels who are now demon spirits in warfare against God, and they are defeated. Now next John saw in Revelations 12, 4, he stood in front of the woman, that is the dragon, he stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. Isn't that what happened in the Bible? This is what took place through wicked King Herod when Jesus was born. You remember that story? Matthew 2, 16 to 18, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys, to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the stars, the star that was over hanging in the sky, of the star's first appearance. Herod wanted to know where the baby was and the wise men lied to him. What did he want to do? He wanted to kill the baby. Herod was demonized when he said, I want every two-year-old and under male child killed what was it doing? He was being moved on by the red dragon as Israel gave birth to the baby and wanted to devour the Christ child on the spot so that our redemption would be short-circuited. So are you seeing now the symbology in Revelation chapter 12? Say amen. All right. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted. Why? Because they are dead, said the prophet. So John's flashback now as he sees the dragon trying to devour the Christ child. His flashback continues as he witnesses the birth and the victory of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. She gave birth to a son. Everybody say, a son. Woo! Who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. And her child was snatched away from the dragon and caught up to God and to his throne. Powerful stuff here in the book of Revelation. 
So the devil's attempts to kill him did not work. And what happened? Jesus died on the cross, was buried, rose from the dead, and was caught up to God and to his throne. Now next, John jumps back to the future. And the narrative picks up three and a half years into the middle of the Great Tribulation. So keep that in mind. We're halfway through the Great Tribulation now, and here's where we're picking it up. And the new world ruler, the Antichrist, here in chapter 12, has severed his seven-year covenant with Israel and slain the two witnesses in Jerusalem. We looked at last week. Now Israel, the woman comes under persecution. Many Jews in that day, three and a half years through the tribulation, when he walks into the temple, sits on the throne, says, I am God, and commits the abomination that makes desolate, all hell is going to break loose on earth like you have never seen. And many Jews in that day will flee to a place in the wilderness. They will hook them. They will run. Perhaps hundreds of thousands of those who still have not received Jesus as Messiah. They just know, if we don't get out of here, we're dead. John says they will be protected by God for three and a half years, 1,260 days, the last half of the tribulation. Revelation chapter 12, verse 6. And the woman, that's Israel, fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1260 days so John is telling us giving us a picture of the history of the woman Israel and now here she is halfway through the tribulation period and she's fleeing into the wilderness and God's protecting her and right about then another shift from earth to heaven takes place as John sees an incredible battle underway in heaven. Revelations 12, and I can't see the verse, probably 7, somewhere in there. 7. Then there was war in heaven. You see, the parallel, what's happening in heaven is manifesting on earth. Here's the woman being chased into the wilderness, but in heaven there's a war going on. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, the red dragon, and his angels. Michael, the archangel, is in a hand-to-hand combat battle with the dragon and his demon spirits, his angels. Revelations 12, 8-9 says, everybody read it with me, it's good news. And the dragon lost the battle. Now preach it to me. And the dragon lost the battle. Hallelujah. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven this great dragon john goes on to say the ancient serpent called the devil or satan the one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to the earth with all his angels now you say well pastor jeff wait a minute wasn't he already thrown down wasn't he already defeated isn't that what you just said yes but remember like when the book of job opens up It says, when the sons of God, that is the angels of God, gathered together in the presence of God, the devil came in among them and said, have you considered my servant Job? So the devil right now has a limited access to heaven. His access is to go before God and accuse the brethren. 
That's why he's called Diabolos, the devil, the accuser of the brethren. So he has limited access right now into heaven. And you know what's happening three and a half years through the tribulation? He's losing that access. He's losing even that. And any access he's had to the ear of God to accuse the saints is now completely shut down, and he and his demon spirits are hurled to the earth. Now, this really matters. While the Jews are in flight, Satan is totally expelled from heaven, denied even the limited access he now experiences as revealed in Job. Satan is now confined primarily to the earth for the last three and a half years of the tribulation, and heaven rejoices over this fact. If I'm in heaven, I don't want to see that sleazy dude coming in. Amen? Amen. I don't want to see it. And so heaven rejoices. But the dragon, who has been hurled down to earth now, is filled with wrath. John warns in Revelations 12, 12, but terror will come on the earth and on the sea because the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has just a little time left. He knows the jig is up. He knows his time is up. He knows he can only do so much more, and then he's going to be cast into the abyss, and he is one mad red dragon. And I'm not trying to be funny. Now, how does that anger manifest itself? The dragon proceeds to energize the Antichrist at this time with supernatural power. He looks around. He's always looking for a willing vessel, just like God is. You understand that? And he's looking around. Now, what can I do? I'm filled with wrath and filled with anger. I've got a short time left. How can I do the most damage in the least amount of time? He moves on Antichrist. Chapter 13 paints an incredible picture of how bad it becomes. Chapter 13, verse 5 says, Then the beast, and that's the Antichrist. Remember that. Everybody say beast. We're going to see it more and more as we finish out Revelations. The beast is the Antichrist. Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. Revelations 13, 7 to 8 says, And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people. That's the tribulation saints. All these people that have been saved through the preaching of the 144,000. Now Antichrist wages war against them. It is persecution to the nth power. And look what happens. He is allowed to conquer them, martyr them, kill them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and every people and every language and every nation. This is the Antichrist. If I can say it this way, it's his finest hour meaning his most evil hour and his most successful hour. But the whole time, he's under the hand of God. Now look what it goes on and says. Satan hates Israel because they are God's elect, royal people. And because Israel, the woman John saw, gave birth to the wonder child, Jesus Christ, who was his undoing. No, Jesus Christ, the devil totally wipes out the human race. But oh, does he hate Israel because Israel gave birth to Messiah. Anytime you see Israel attacked, maligned, ridiculed, hated, loathed, despised, it is a spiritual thing. 
Revelations 13, 13 to 14 says, When the dragon realized that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman, that is Israel, who had given birth to the male child. But she was given two wings, that means supernatural ability to flee, like those of a great eagle, so she could fly to the place, prepare for her in the wilderness. There she would be cared for and protected from the dragon for a time, times, and half a time, and that's three and a half years, the last half of the tribulation period. Israel, the Jewish people, thousands of them will be hiding somewhere in the Middle East, protected by God from the wrath of the dragon. Remember, many Jews in that day will flee to a place in the wilderness, perhaps hundreds of thousands of those who still have not received Jesus as Messiah. John says they'll be protected for three and a half years. Now look at verses 15 and 17 as chapter 13 comes to a close. Then the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth. That flood of water is a picture of massive, overwhelming persecution. Isaiah said, When you walk through the waters, they will not overflow you. When you go through the fire, you will not be burned. He's talking about here, this flood of waters coming out of the dragon's mouth is a flood of persecution against them. But the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. That's just telling you that God shows them a place to hide and the ferocity of the persecution from the dragon is swallowed up and destroyed and comes to nothing. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, and that would be the tribulation saints. All who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus, I want you to know, church, Satan hates all who name the name of Christ. This is likely a prediction of a flood of martyrdom. When he says in verse 17, he declares war against the rest of her children and who maintain their testimony of Jesus. John is clear. This is talking about tribulation saints who are talking about Jesus, preaching Jesus, witnessing Jesus, living for Jesus. He attacks them and there is a flood of martyrdom in the tribulation time. Now let's look at the appearance of Antichrist. Everybody say amen Amen. or oh me. Now, it's a great big amen because this is where we're headed, not us, but the world. And thank God we're going to be elsewhere, and I'm getting into that in the next couple of weeks. Don't miss it. Now, look what John records in Revelations 13, 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast. Who's the beast? Antichrist. Rising up out of the sea. And look, he's identifying him again with seven heads, ten horns, And on the horns, ten crowns. And on his heads, a blasphemous name. Now when it says, I saw him rising up out of the sea, that's a description of how the Antichrist will rise out of the massive sea of humanity. He rises up out of nowhere. He gains the kingdom by flattery. He gains the kingdom by oratory. He gains the kingdoms of the earth. He comes into recognition and power by oratorical skill and by political manipulation and maneuvering, he comes up out of nowhere, out of the sea of humanity, all of a sudden there he is. The time frame is still at the middle of the tribulation. Chapter 13 describes the beast king who is elsewhere called Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition, 
as Jesus Christ was the Son of God, if there can be a son of Satan, it's Antichrist. If you ask me, I personally believe he's alive in the world. Well, who is it? I don't know. But I believe, looking at prophecy, he's probably alive in the world. And Daniel called him the little horn king. He comes out of nowhere. He doesn't look like that big a deal at first, but he comes into power overnight. And Daniel calls him also the prince that shall come. And Jesus called him the abomination of desolation, this man. And it's not a thing, it's a man. It's masculine gender in the Greek language. This is talking about a man. Now let's look at his personality, and we're going to close tonight. And next week, take a lot stronger look at this and what he's going to do. John next describes the characteristics of this Antichrist who comes out of nowhere. Revelations 13, 2 says, The beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Who gave him his power? The dragon. And who gave him the throne of political power he comes into, the dragon. So folks, so often behind the political scene, spiritual forces are at work to establish good or evil. That's why elections have consequences. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and the dragon that tried to devour the baby, Jesus, gave this man great authority. Now, three ways he's described, leopard, bear, and lion. Well, a leopard moves quickly and stealth-like. They can run 80 mph in short bursts. So, quick. The bear, strong and powerful. Lion roars and is kingly. This is talking about oratory. John says his kingdom is going to be strong and powerful, will take over quickly, seemingly overnight, and he will be stately, ruling by the roar of powerful words. There's two kinds of anointings. There's a godly anointing. When somebody's anointed by the Holy Spirit, and there is a demonic anointing. Hitler had it. Whole massive crowds mesmerized by his oratory. Wasn't the Holy Spirit. So I'm telling you here that Antichrist will be anointed, but not by God. His authority will come from the dragon. He will rise up out of the sea of humanity. He will come into political power seemingly overnight. His kingdom will be powerful, stomping like a bear, thrashing, moving, unstoppable, it seems. No question the Antichrist at this time will be possessed of the devil like no other human being in the history of the world has ever been possessed. Halfway through the tribulation, he will commit the abomination of desolation we discussed in earlier chapters. He'll walk into the rebuilt temple, into the Holy of Holies, and he will declare himself to be God. It is very likely that at this time an assassination attempt is made on him. Are you ready? This is what John saw. Look what he saw. I saw, verse 3, that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed 
The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. I believe it's an assassination attempt made on him. He receives a head wound like JFK. But he seems to rise from the dead. And when he does, the whole world falls at his feet. Now I'm going to tell you what I think about it. I notice words. And the Bible says one of the heads seemed wounded beyond recovery. So you know what I think the Bible is suggesting? That it's a ruse. It only appears to be a literal resurrection, but it's not. Now he may be wounded, but he doesn't die and come back from the dead. But you know what? Satan being the ultimate liar and deceiver would love to lead the world to believe that his antichrist resurrected just like Jesus did. Because the devil is a copycat. He originates nothing. Not anything. God's the originator of all things. He doesn't originate anything. So he tries to mock and ridicule and duplicate the resurrection of Jesus with his guy. But I think it's a ruse. The result of this resurrection is universal adulation. Revelation 13, 4 says, And they worshipped the dragon. You look at this. They go to Satan worship. This is the red dragon. They worship the dragon which gave power to the beast. And they worship the beast. So you got Satan worship and Antichrist worship with this bunch of people coming under judgment. And what are they saying? Who is like unto the beast? Of course, they're not calling him beast. They're calling him whoever his name is. Who's like him? Saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? He is invincible. He's indestructible. He rises from the dead. He's supernatural. He is our God. What did Paul say? Because they rejected the truth, God will send them a strong delusion that they would believe a lie. You talk about a deluded planet. Bad news right here. Antichrist is now at the height of his diabolical career. He uses his popularity for pure evil. 5 through 9 of chapter 13 says, There was given to him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue three and a half years. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. This dude comes out with the foulest mouth on the planet. He actually looks up and blasphemes God. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to even overcome them, martyr them. And power was given him over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why you don't want to be there in the great tribulation. This is hell on earth. This is a completely bewitched world. And they are in for so much trouble. And all that dwell upon the earth all earth dwellers will worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world if any man has an ear let him hear then john lets us know that anyone trying to stop the antichrist reign of terror will be imprisoned or slain and we're going to close with this anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison tribulation saints the fruit of the 144,000 preaching they will not Follow him or worship him or take his mark, which next week we talk about, 666. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people, tribulation saints, must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful 
to the death. Next time, 666. And the mark of the beast. Can we stand up together? Now, I'm going to tell you something, folks, as we close tonight. We don't need much evidence to know that these prophecies are happening right in front of our eyes. Wait till what I show you next week about the mark and how close it is. The technology is there. But how many of you are glad that grace has touched your life? Aren't you glad? Say with me, amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I'm going to ask you to bow for a moment of prayer, would you? You can say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I used to walk with the Lord, but I've drifted. And he has really been just nudging my heart that it's time for me to get right. I really want to walk in the blessing of God again. And I want to have his peace. Or maybe you've never been born again. As there is a mark of the beast, there is also a mark from God. It's called the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of you. And he changes you from the inside out. Maybe you've never had that miracle. If you're in one of those two categories, I urge you and implore you, don't go another day without getting right with God. You see what's coming upon the world. It's clear. Why be caught unaware, unprepared? With your head bowed, if you can say, Pastor Jeff, I'm in one of those two categories, and I want, I want God's peace, and I want His blessing. If that's you, would you raise your hand right where you are? 